Welcome to the Sheila Kama Extractive Podcast. Today we're going to continue our discussions of local content policies with a focus on the African continent. Today my guest is Jimmy Muguera from Uganda. Jimmy is going to give us uh, a distinctly Ugandan perspective on local content policies. Jimmy has over 20 years of senior business leadership, including at the Royal Dutch Oil and Tallow Oil. He's currently a consultant in his home country of Uganda. He manages and helps clients build relationships, especially with respect to managing complex projects. Jimmy, welcome to my podcast. It's very nice to speak with you today. Thank you, Sheila. Hello, Sheila. How are you doing? I'm very well. I look forward to our discussions today. Let's get straight to the issues. So what can you tell us about the policy framework for local content in Uganda. Yeah, thank you, Sheila. I, I think, uh, I mean, uh, I, I, I'll probably narrow down the, 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 the discussion on local content in Uganda on oil and gas. Just to put it in, in, in perspective, Uganda found about uh, 6.5 billion barrels of commercial oil and gas resources in the Albert region. And uh, that then presents an opportunity to leverage uh, the oil and gas resources for revenue generation, investments, and also developing the private sector. And, and, and on, in, in that respect, the Ugandans have become very excited. And, uh, you know, there's been a lot of expectations that have been raised about Ugandans participating and benefiting from the oil and gas. So what, what the government of Uganda has done is to take uh, several initiatives to ensure maximum participation of the Ugandans, citizens, but also developing businesses and these uh, include capacity building, Ugandans being employed, businesses, SMEs being formed using some of the produced uh, goods which are done here locally, but also the transfer of technology from uh, the big kind of international companies. So what the local content policy, just to, to get back to your question, what the local content policy guides is uh, kind of to see how does it position Ugandans to take advantage of that. And there's been a framework that has been developed since 2008 and then another one that was updated in 2009. And the framework talks about government's commitment in developing the Ugandans and uh, you know, the Ugandan citizens of industries, putting out a strong regulatory and institutional administrative framework for managing local content in Uganda. So, so you've got the Petroleum Authority, you've got the Uganda National Oil, which have been formed as a result of this. But it also has a kind of an explanation of uh, how the resource allocation decisions will be taken across the multi-governments. Currently in Uganda, there are so many decisions which are being taken across different governments. So, it's, so, so, so the framework also sets that out, but it also sets out the mechanisms to try and see how do they support the private sector to participate in the oil and gas. And when we go into detail, we'll just uh, unpack some of that. Also describing the measures that will ensure that the transfer of technology and know-how happens from the big oil companies to, 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 to the SMEs, but also to the other sectors in the industry. And also basically how they will kind of monitor and uh, transfer whatever has been learned. So th that is it at the country level. But if you look at it also from the international level, Uganda is a signatory and promotes uh, the UN Sustainable Development Goals. At a regional level, Uganda is also a signatory of the African Union, the Abuja Treaty. 
and and also at an East African level, Uganda is also a signatory of the East African and they, they, their, their ways of uh, working within the different countries of how they can share and support skills development in industries like oil and gas. So in a nut frame, that's, uh, that's what uh, the policy is about. It is to increase employment for Ugandans. It is to increase participation for Ugandan enterprises to provide goods, but also to ensure that uh, locally produced goods are used in the industry. So you, you have had the benefit of working in different parts of the world, including in Ghana, as I recall. So in your opinion, what distinguishes Uganda's local content framework and approach from those of, uh, other countries that you have worked in? I should say that uh, if, if you look across Africa, if you go to Uganda, you go to Kenya, you go to Ghana and uh, Nigeria, or even South Africa in the automobile industry, most local content policies are similar across Africa in that local content requirements, there are provisions there that commit uh, foreign investors and companies to kind of a minimal thresholds of goods and services that must be purchased or procured locally. In the case of Uganda, you, you, I should say that Uganda and Ghana found oil at the same time, but, but the delay in starting the oil project in Uganda has meant that Uganda has had a lot of time. In a way, the silver lining is that they have also taken a lot of lessons. So, so they've taken a lot of lessons of what has worked across the world. So, the heavily borrowed uh, frameworks from Norway, as you know, in Norway is stocks spoken about as having the gold standard for local content. So they put in place a supplier development programs, uh, which were not in many of the initial oil and gas countries in, in Africa, but Uganda has put it in place even before the oil and gas starts to come out. Uh, we've uh, done an industrial baseline survey which has identified where the opportunities are, where the skills are, what are the gaps, how do you cover those gaps? And coming out of that has been them to ring fence certain services, about 16 services which have been ring fenced. Whereas in the case of Ghana, they've probably also been more, they've, they've, they've done more than, than what even Uganda has, has, has mandated. And I say mandated because at the moment it's just a, a framework. It's not yet really been implemented. But, but in the case of Ghana, if you look at it, the government has set uh, almost 90% uh, local content target and has mandated the local operators, I mean, the, the, the operators so like Tello Oil, to create an annual local content plan and an annual recruitment plan and a training program, which, prefer, which gives preference to, to local inputs as opposed to, to the imported goods. The other difference, sorry, go ahead. No, no, I was curious to learn from you about these aspects of the supply chain that have been ring-fenced and isolated and specifically targeted in Uganda. What are they and what is the rationale for ring-fencing these particular areas? One of the items that came out very early out of the study was to identify that there were some almost 27 areas where Ugandans, I mean 25 areas which Ugandans could benefit. On one hand, it was how easy it was to do, and the other side was the impact. And then they ring-fenced the, the items that were easy to do and would also generate impact. And those 16 services were put in there. So there are services like, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a whole raft of list, but it's the accommodation, it is the facilities, it is uh, 
logistics, it's uh, some of the local materials. So anything that is, is available in Uganda, the security services, the waste management. So anything that is available in Uganda and can be found in Uganda, the government kind of rang fenced them and told them this, we, we won't need foreign companies to be doing. And, right. and, they've, and they've successfully kind of uh, done them and Ugandans have uh, started uh, taking advantage of uh, some of those. So that's interesting. So it was really saying we have the capacity in this space, but also saying it's not just about capacity, it's also about where value lies. So it's trying to strike that balance. So, you know, it's, it's one thing to have capacity, Jimmy, as you know, it's another for that capacity to align to industry's health and safety standards. What sort of interventions are we seeing, if any at all, in Uganda to ensure that not only is there local service and providers and suppliers of goods, but that these services and these goods meet international safety standards as required when operating in the oil and gas space? I think the, the first point has, uh, and, and I like your, your point, that it's not just about providing the services, but, but it's ensuring that these are the value-adding services. And, and, and that, 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 that is a key thing in the framework, if you read it. They're not just trying to cover ownership, but they're talking about value-adding. There is a, a, recognizes, a recognition that uh, Uganda is not an industrial country. They are, Uganda is off onshore. 1,500 kilometers away from the sea, there is a recognition that there are a lot of standards we do not have. So, 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 so the government has taken it upon themselves to say, to tell the oil and, you know, the oil companies that please support us in the state. Tell us what are those standards that you will need to ensure that they are able to meet the, the standards when the oil and gas starts. Because one of the things which we saw, as an example, during the, the East African the exploration and appraisal phase, the local enterprises were able to participate in the supply, but they supplied in the lower value contracts. On the other hand, the high value contracts and the specialized goods and services were awarded to foreign companies. And, and, and if you look at the reasons behind that, mainly it was because the international oil companies use international procurement, Tender procedures, which are complex, require high levels of organization and standards and HSC and, and, and all those, which the local companies don't have. So it, it has been a deliberate effort on behalf of the authorities to ensure that the next phase around, which is the production phase, that the Ugandans are aware of those standards, that they are skilled. Take an example, something like welding, which we all see when you drive by the roadside, because every Every welder can weld again. But those welders cannot work in the oil and gas industries because they're not certified. So what the government has done is to try and ensure that there are some skills development which are able to certify these people with either certifications like the OPITO or the city and girls, but international certificates. When the operators come and the contractors come, they can you know, talk to the welders and tell, show them that, look, this is what we have to be able to do work. That's interesting because it, it, it mitigates the risk of uh, any foreigner 
or for that matter, other entities that operate in Uganda that may not want to procure from Uganda, it mitigates the risk of them using lack of uh, certifiable standards as an excuse. Let's look yeah. inward again of Uganda and say, what is, if there is at all, what is the focus then of the local content in terms of the difference between the urban suppliers, formalized businesses versus those in the communities? You and I know, having worked in the oil and gas industry, that you know, the needs of communities are often center stage. How well are these catered for in Uganda's local content? Is there a clear demarcation of what is in the purview of the community and and what may be in the purview of the rest of the country? I think on on, on paper, and I say it's on paper because this is going to be tested out, but on paper and taking the lessons from Ghana, from Nigeria, from Norway, on paper, the, there's a very, very clear focus on how, you know, some of these uh, lo- local, the communities will benefit. So other than ensuring that they are resettled, so they're removed from the project area, but then resettled in, you know, according to the equator principles, there's also an encouragement of them to focus on things like the agriculture sector, because most of them are, are doing subsistence agriculture. And one of the one of the, the the initiatives has been to try and ensure that there's kind of a, an agricultural development framework within the area, so that you do the communities do not lose focus on, on what they need to do because the oil and gas development will come and it will go. But overall, at a broad level, if you look at the policy, the desired outcome of the policy is to ensure that there's increased employment of Ugandans. So. In, in, in the communities around, uh, around where either the pipeline is going to be built or the oil, oil and gas services will, will be, the, the people, the community around there will benefit from, uh, from some, of those, uh, some, of those, some of that work. There is the issue of increased participation of Ugandan enterprises and the provision of the services. So if you just take out things like concrete or drivers, again, the, 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 there is a focus on ensuring that uh, the people uh, around there do not struggle. But also, on the, on the other level, is the SMEs just ensuring that they are ready. The thing we we're talking about earlier is that they are able to bid, that they are able to make joint venture partners, is that they are able to learn the, the oil and gas standards. So that the outcome you know, will be around uh, capacity building of uh, the Uganda human resource, the employment of qualified Ugandans, the enterprises being developed, you know, the promotion of some of the local utilization, but also the whole technology transfer that will happen over the years in the longer term rather than the short term. You know, Jimmy, we don't live in a bubble and Uganda, much less any one of the 53 African countries, is not an island unto itself. And so I think there's something to be said for peer learning and, and so forth. So I, I wanted to just ask you, what are the lessons that other countries can, in your opinion, derive from the Ugandan path to local content implementation and monitoring? Yeah, Sh- Sh- Sheila, that's, a, that's an interesting question because uh, if you look at uh, oil and gas, oil has, gas has been around since almost the beginning of the century. And uh, countries like Norway early in the 1970s, uh, you know, had some nice oil and gas. But even the UK and the North Sea had some uh, local content 
requirements. But for if you go down the line in Africa, there are other countries that are also doing uh, local content. So maybe what I would say is that uh, the primary lesson uh, or from best practice for local content requirements is to say that uh, local content must be focused on capacity building and value add rather than mere ownership. And we've seen that uh, and, and in the case of many countries, uh, the people have been struggling around having, having ownership, even BEE in South Africa, it's been around having ownership rather than saying we're building capacity and we are adding value. You see that in Nigeria, you see that uh, in, uh, in, in, in Angola, because in oil and gas, services to producing farms count for almost 90% of the total cost. And yet we have very weak industrial capacity in many, uh, many sub-Saharan African economies. So, so in the case of Nigeria, the market for the oil fields uh, services is, is, is huge, over $8 billion. And yet only 10% of that is, uh, is, is picked up from, from a local content perspective. So Uganda has taken that as a lining. The second lesson, which uh, I would say is that uh, in everything we do, especially from a Ugandan perspective, has been that local content must be formulated in an inclusive and in transparent manner. Uh, there is a tendency of uh, policymakers kind of writing the regulations and the bills and throwing them in the parliament. And before you know their bills, well, they give you just a few days to, 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 to review, and yet it's very little time to change the, the, you know, the overall bill that is ready. And and, and, and for me, that is a lesson, which uh, not only contacting the Ugandans to ensure that they, they give their views, but also contacting the, uh, the international oil companies who are going to be the investors to ensure that uh, they, they add to, to, to the local content requirements. The third one has also been one on uh, ensuring that the local content uh, targets are realistic and based on some possible economic assumptions. I think the most uh, difficult uh, barrier facing many of the uh, policymakers is ensuring that they're able to design local content targets, which they can monitor. And, and, and it's maybe something we, we, we had a discussion on. But again, if you look at the, uh, the Nigerian uh, 2010 Content Act, it creates a number of incentives whereby local content is starting through the bidding, through the con contracting processes to ensure that there is an increase in the levels of uh, you know, the domestic uh, oil and gas uh, sector. The other, the other lessons is, 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 is probably also, also similar, is uh, just ensuring that you probably have short, medium and long-term targets. I think it's, if you look at the policy or the framework, it, it goes almost from straight away to say that uh, this is going to be, this is the target we are looking for in local content, but without kind of giving you a milestone, because this is a journey. You will have to accept that in the short to medium term, it's going to be expatriates. In the medium term, you probably, you, the locals start to take over. And in the longer term, it's the locals who are running it. But that has got to be kind of planned it's got to be structured and it's got to be deliberate. And then for me, the other one is uh, the, the, the learning has been, you know, people thinking that uh, local content is, uh, is, should not be seen as a panacea for the systemic problems in the country because 
in the country, even if you have very good, uh, very good local content framework, if you still have corruption, if uh, people are not uh, executing, if people are not monitoring what they need to monitor, it's not gonna, the local content is not going to solve however good it is on paper. So you need to be very deliberate on uh, some of these, uh, these items. The other learning has been that, uh, you know, the, the putting together of a national content fund, whereby they, they require 1% of that fund to be put to be put in a fund that is used in a local development bank that helps develop uh, the SMEs, the small medium enterprises in Uganda. So you made an, a, an important reference to what is on paper versus what is on practice. And my observation is that it's one thing to articulate very clearly a, a policy and lay it out. It's another to implement and then monitor the results. Can you, as a, as a, as a, a parting shot, could you give us some indication of what the monitoring framework for local content looks like in Uganda's uh, oil and gas sector? The, the, what did you say, the monitoring? Yes, in other words, the monitoring of compliance with uh, the local content requirements by both citizens complying with standards and then foreigners complying with the procurement targets. I mean, again, uh, as, as I said, yes, 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 on paper. I think there the, are the two things. One is uh, there is a, a, a petroleum authority who is a regulator, and, and their work is to kind of establish, maintain, and, uh, and monitor things, say, like the human capacity development. There is a register, there's a national database that is being formed where they're asking all Ugandans to, to register. They're asking for compliance reports from the licensees so that uh, they provide how they are complying with the act and the regulations. They are, you know, they've gone to an extent of also putting a stick. If you don't do this, you know, you will get a fine of so many, so many, uh, so many points or, 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 or including, you know, the suspension of the license if, if, uh, if, if you, 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 don't, uh, you don't participate. So at, at a license level, there are monthly reports, there are annual reports. At the beginning of the year, there is a, an agreed national content plan. There are succession plans. Uh, there, are, you know, there are targets which kind of are, are being anticipated that they'll be put in place. Again, as I said, at the moment, it is still, still on paper. The, the challenge which we have seen in many of the African projects is ex execution. I think we write very good policies. And um, you know, like they say, the proof of the pudding is in the eating. And when we, when we come to execute, we kind of get, uh, we, become, we, we kind of get confused and lose it out. So that, that's, that's, that's what uh, we, we're kind of hoping that uh, the targets that have been put in place, uh, the, the systems, the compliance the regulations that has been put in place will be followed to the letter. That's fantastic. Well, uh, Jimmy, that's all we have time for today. Thank you very much for taking the time to speak with us all the way from Kampala. I hope to see you soon when I'm in your neck of the woods. Thank you very much and goodbye for now, Jimmy. Yeah, thank you, Sheila. I appreciate that. <laughs>